supported by Oxford University Press who want to let you know about some recent exciting changes to their online platform MyMaths. Now for anyone unfamiliar with MyMaths it's a whole school digital resource for primary and secondary schools. It contains hundreds of self-marking homework activities, interactive lessons, games and automated results tracking making it great for both remote and classroom teaching. Both the schools I've worked in have had my math subscriptions, but I'm going to be honest with you here, I've always been really frustrated that it was built on Flash, meaning students couldn't access it on their phones or tablets. Well, great news. MyMaths has recently undergone a massive conversion project to modernise the platform and make it compatible with tablet devices. Woohoo! The team have also been working with teachers to identify new features to add to MyMaths. So the latest update allows teachers to see their students' individual answers rather than just their scores. Obviously, this makes it so much better to know exactly where your students have gone wrong in their homework so you can offer them some help. There's also video support in secondary MyMath activities. These videos are designed to offer secondary students the right help at the right time as they work through their homework. New batches of support videos are added to the platform on a regular basis. An annual subscription to MyMaths for your whole school costs just £625 plus VAT for secondary schools and £355 plus VAT for primary schools with discounts available for smaller schools. So even if your school previously had a MyMath subscription, you can still sign up for a free trial to check out these great updates. Any teacher can sign up for a 30-day free trial at mymaths.co.uk. That's mymaths.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Once again, this completes the trilogy. This is day three conference takeaway episode from the end of the Maths Association 2021 150 year anniversary conference. And I'm joined by my favorite podcast co-host. It's the wonderful Joe Morgan. Hello, Joe. Hello, Craig. That's very nice of you to say that. Um, Good, wasn't it? I know. That, that it wasn't even script. I know. Because you know, every time you tweet about a podcast, you always say how it's one of your favorites. So, you know, I'm not sure whether I should uh, take you seriously. <laughs> well, and bear in mind, yesterday you described Ben Sparks as your favorite conference <laughs> presenter. So you're very lucky that I'm, I'm saying you, this. But you, know, you, you, go on. Bear in mind that I, 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 I podcast cheated on you earlier this week, didn't I? I, I did a podcast with someone else. Do you want to give a plug for this so they, they get some well, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure whether he's publishing it or it was just part of his research. <laughs> this was, this was, yeah, it was that bad. He's like, no, it was, it was great. It's Ben Orlin, who is the American guy who does all the ma- uh, maths with bad drawings stuff. You know okay. what I mean? Do, no, do you, I don't know, think do you so. know? You don't know math with bad drawing? Oh, it's really, no, really funny. No. So he does like really bad cartoons which have got really funny that basically explain math things, but they're really funny. And, and um, he's done, written a couple of really good books and All he's, right. he's, he's researching a new book on, um, I think it's on math symbols. And, right. and so, so he's really knowledgeable about math symbols and he wanted to talk to other knowledgeable people, i.e. me, <laughs> about, um, 
about math symbols as research for his book. So we did it as a podcast. Oh. And um, ma- mainly I was talking about the stuff that I know from old textbooks. Um, so it was surprise, um, surprise. <laughs> yeah. And it was some of the questions he asked me, like he was asking me my favorite Greek letter. That's a great question. Oh, wow. And um, my favorite. Um, oh, he asked me if I'm a pie person or a towel person. Oh, and like all these, yeah, these really, um, like we had these really deep, massy conversations, very different yeah. to the, the sort of stuff I talked to you about. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. But you don't know whether this is coming out or not. This is. Uh, I'm, yeah. I don't know whether, he, I don't know whether he did it as research for his book and he just recorded the interview or he's going to release it as a podcast. Um, oh, but um, it was, it was um, really interesting. And also tell you what was interesting was talking to someone in America about lockdown because he was sort of started just asking me kind of what I'm doing over Easter break. Yeah. And I said, well, obviously nothing's open um so yes. I, I've just been kind of staying at home <laughs> and he's and he just his mind was blown by this idea yeah, of kind of a yeah. national organized approach he said they can't even they don't have an, a national approach in the states to lockdown and they don't really even have a statewide approach yeah. it's kind of really sort of town by town and he said that and even the thought of being told like for them to be told they can't have people to their houses they just wouldn't accept it and yes. um, so he was he was really impressed and I was, and I was like well I, I'm not impressed by this country's response but I suppose comparatively um we are maybe more organized than um, others but yeah it was it was interesting having a discussion with an American about uh about the pandemic so it was good well there you go well we've we've, we've sorted global politics out there so we'll yep. tick that off tick that off the list <laughs> And uh, well, I'll have to dumb things down then, obviously, because this uh, you, you've done your highbrow podcast, so let, let's dumb it down now on this one. So this is the end of day three. Um, so I want to just dive straight in here, Joe. So uh, it was opening keynote, uh, Colin Foster. Now I'm going to make a, a wild claim here, okay, mm. wild claim. I'm going to say Colin Foster, he's one of my favorite people, and I'd end that sentence there. I'm not even saying in the maths world or anything. <laughs> I mean, just think he's brilliant. I think he's a really nice man, full stop. Yeah. But I think he's one of the cleverest people I've ever known, but also one of the most modest. And he's quite annoyingly modest. Do you know know what I mean? Because if I was that clever, I think, I mean, I'm cocky enough as it is, but I think I'd be even more cocky if I was as clever as Colin. But whenever you speak to him, like his insights are absolutely incredible. I love having conversations with him and I've been very lucky to have, have a few over the years. But I also love hearing him speak. So I'm, I just wanted to get that out of the way first. I'm a big fan of Colin Foster. Now, you hate Colin Foster, don't you? So <laughs> I, <laughs> absolutely, I absolutely love Colin Foster. I, I can't imagine anyone not no. liking him. I'll tell you what, um, one, one thing that I really noticed about his, uh, his style and his manner today yeah. was that when he asked the questions and people said things, he was like, mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah. He just sort of, he's just like the most reflective person. Yes. Where, whereas I would like, burble out this rubbish answer so if someone says something yes. to me in a, at the end of a presentation I'll, I'll just give this real really not thought through answer but he thinks everything through yeah, like he does, he's he so does. um um thoughtful and reflective um and it's re- it was really noticeable I thought in today's talk particularly at the end where people were saying things and he he doesn't feel like he needs to sort of answer yeah. all the questions and I think that's maybe one of the main points is he doesn't have the answers to the questions as in that's kind of the point in what he's saying isn't it like we don't we don't actually know how necessary to do this well and we can talk about some ideas but you know he'll never sort of um, pretend to have answers and and I love that about him yeah Um, yeah, so and I'm I'm delighted he's going to be president of the MA starting this time next year Um, and he's uh, yeah everything like his book questions people ask fantastic um, all the articles he writes for journals always did you see his recent one it was in the MA journal and it was on it was called on hating formula triangles 
And it's a bit of a misleading title because it kind of suggests that he's going to write an article about hating formula triangles. Yes. But he's actually, it's a commentary on the teachers who hate formula triangles and giving a more nuanced, balanced view. And so just usual excellence from Colin Foster. Like he's just, if you want someone to sort of give a sensible view, then he's your man. Yeah, I also think he's quite a contrarian thinker. Like, we, yeah. we kind of saw it today, right? Like, he, he was talking about under, teaching for understanding or what can we teach understanding. Yeah. And, yeah, he do, doesn't kind of toe any party line or anything. He's not afraid to kind of sit on the other side of fences and stuff. I, I just thought it was really good. Oh, the other thing, before we dive into the, the, the nitty-gritty, the other thing, good use of a PowerPoint timer, I thought. Did I noticed that, that as well. It was good. Because I've got this egg timer, which I always really like. Yeah. But his was really slick, wasn't it? Just sitting in the bottom right-hand corner of the PowerPoint. Yeah. I, I was really impressed well, with remember, that. During lockdown, I used um, GIFs. The, the, yes. The, the, and, yes. They, and they counted down. But the only problem with that is it starts when you get to the slide. So yes, it's automatically yes, starts. Yes. I liked his had the most pleasing little ding at the end. And it was yeah. really lovely. Um, yes, nice you're touch. right. That was that was nice. Um, I'm sure that's not the sort of um, feedback he goes for. But it was. But it was we, we, it's what we provide. We notice these things, Joe. I, I was I was a big. Well, fan. actually, so I was anyway, thinking. I was thinking. I was reflecting on that as a uh, in terms of how he must have developed as a online presenter because he's obviously yes. been teaching PGC stuff online. Yes. So he, you know, we've all kind of got better at that, and he's obviously yeah become a real expert at this kind of how to you know giving giving people time to think about things and and giving you know using the timer to control yes. that it was really good but um good. yeah he's um it, it was uh he i think what you say about him not afraid to be controversial is really important because he will he will be contra- he will say things that basically are a, a kind of disagreeing with teachers so for yeah. example um it's not he's not saying that he's in favor of formula triangles and let's use them all the time but he is offering more balanced argument than yes. those we see elsewhere um and he's not afraid to do that whereas i would be afraid to do that because i'll be <laughs> yeah, like oh yeah, no yeah, i'm gonna yeah. get this this twitter pile on and everyone's gonna yes. you know like when people will tweeting about zero term and i was like oh i must never yeah, mention zero yeah, term again because yes. i don't like it when everyone's being mean about it but actually he can do that and he doesn't get all this kind of um, grief from people because everyone's like, oh, Colin Foster said it and he's really smart. So, you know, yeah. it's just, there's just something about the way he handles things really well and that he he doesn't kind of um, have run-ins with people just because he's just a sort of sensible and, uh, I don't know, something about the way he handles things, which is uh, yeah, something I good. admire in him. Yeah, He's good. And, just, and again, just, we're building this talk up <laughs> something crazy here. But the other thing I was going to say <laughs> just before we dive into it, a little plug <laughs> Um, you'll remember, Joe, uh, end of last year, I did Research in Action, 10 episodes interviewing researchers from Loughborough University, where obviously Colin's based. Yeah. Um, back for season two of that. I'm going to start recording those in a couple of weeks, actually. And Colin's coming on as one of the guests, as is Tom Frankham. So it's going to oh, be fascinating. Great. He's a great podcast guest as yes. well. And anyway, so the title of Colin's talk was Can We Teach Understanding with Understanding in Inverted Commas? Um I really liked it. So just to kind of outline what he did, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe. So the whole point was, what does it mean to understand something? And he, I I thought he set it out really nice. So he he first started with the statement, odd plus odd equals even, and said, how could you, how could a student demonstrate that they understood that? And he showed how you could do it in a nice diagrammatical way with, with blocks, where you could show if you arrange them into rectangles, like if you do nine plus 11 or whatever it may be, you're going to have kind of a, a block left over from the nine, a block left over from the 11, if you arrange them of height of two. 
And you could kind of generalize from there. And he, Colin made the point that a five, he's known some five-year-olds. Now, I don't know where he's meeting these five-year-olds who can do this, <laughs> but he's, he's, he knows five-year-olds who could effectively prove that an odd plus an odd will always be an even using this diagrammatical representation. And he moved from that. Oh, yeah, go on. Go on I was going to say, because he, just because he said five-year-olds, uh, at the break, I went and tested it on my six-year-old. <laughs> And I, I literally, I said to her, right, um, I, I said, um, what's, I said, what sort of number do you get if you add three and five? And she literally just worked it out and she, and she said eight. And I was like, well, what kind of number is that? And then basically we got there, we got to his proof, but only yeah. by me asking like ridiculous leading yes. questions. <laughs> like it was, yeah. I was like, and can you see that these are little lonely bits and they go together and they make a pair? <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't think all five-year-olds can do it. <laughs> No, or maybe, or maybe it's just five-year-olds and not six-year-olds. Oh, that maybe might be it. Yeah. That might yeah. be it. That might be it. Um, but I, well, I like that as the setup because yes. then he said, "Okay, well, what about Pythagoras? So, so what does it mean for students to understand Pythagoras's theorem? Is it enough to be able to prove it? Is it enough to be able to demonstrate it, and so on and so forth?" So, what, what did you take away from? What were some of your thoughts on it? And then I'll chip in with with, with a few of mine. Well. I think the interesting thing about so him starting by talking about odd plus odd equals even and us seeing that lovely, you know, we've got the um, we've got the pictorial uh, representation of it, which just seems so logical and intuitive and can be generalized even as a picture. Um, and then obviously we can do an algebraic proof if we want. But what he said about that that was really nice was was being able to understand odd plus odd equals even. He says that kind of it's a really deep understanding because yes. then cause you can you can use that idea. Then, then I know that what happens if I add an even and an odd number that I'm not yes. going to have that kind of pairing that you get. So yes. I will get an odd answer. And then he talked about all these. It's it sort of we can see what it means, why it works, and we have this really deep understanding with no extra work. It helps us to understand a whole load of stuff. But he was saying with Pythagoras. Does anyone understand it? How do we know if a student understands it? You know, you've got and students that um, that can that can use it but don't get it. Then, then we've got all these really complex proofs. And and should we say that if a student can understand a proof, that that means that they understand the concept? Yeah. Not necessarily. He said he talked about how some proofs you can memorize, yeah. some proofs you can understand but then forget. And does that mean that you suddenly don't understand the concept anymore? Um, and it was, you know, he showed that lovely water wheel. And I do really like the water wheel demonstration. And we know it's not a proof. It's a demonstration where, you you know, you, you have the, the two, the, the two, the squares of, on the legs of the, the triangle and you turn it and they fill up the square on the hypotenuse. And, and he was sort of talking about how um, it, it, it's not a proof, but it does maybe help students just kind of appreciate a little bit about what's going on. Yeah. Um, and see what it means yes. um, so, and, and then yeah then he sort of showed all these all these different um, proofs but he was his point was can we pin down understanding and then there's also this question of does it matter if they understand or you know understand at this kind of very deep level um, um, and, and so it was it was re it was really interesting because he said he this is the thing I always say I didn't understand anything until I became more expert yeah, so yeah. basically once I started teaching maths and he said that's a cop-out <laughs> He yeah. said, is it a cop out to say that understanding will come later? And in yeah. fact, do we need better strategies to help understanding? Um, so, yeah, I realized that what I've been saying the whole time is a cop out. <laughs> so but, just you, a couple of things on what you've, what you've said there before yeah. I forget. So the first is I've always been right. So the way I've been, when I first started teaching, I was all for the demonstrations. So yeah. um, like that water thing. And also it's interesting, you, you showed that um, 
the satsuma or the orange peel, oh, yes. right? Yeah, to, yeah. to show. So for people who don't know this, you can <laughs> this will be a low point when I get this wrong. You can show that the surface area of a sphere is that four pi r squared. Four pi r squared, yeah. Four pi r squared. You can show it by peeling a I call them satsumas. We'll go with satsuma or satsuma, orange is yeah. fine. Satsuma, we'll go with satsuma. Um, you can peel that so you get the surface area of it, and then you can kind of break it up into four circles and um, uh, I, I used to like that and then Danny Quinn when she was first on the podcast and I asked her what her most her favorite failure was it was doing that exact lesson because it was a classic thing where it didn't work there were bits yeah. missing and also the surface structure the kids just remembered the satsuma they didn't remember what it yeah. was about but then again the contrarian point that I thought Colin made as you've made there is that whilst they're not proofs they can help kids remember things so if the yeah. kids remember those four circles they remember the formula, perhaps yeah. more than just an abstract. I mean, I'll I, be honest with you, I was struggling to remember it there because I get it muddled up with a code and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But if I have that picture in my head of those four circles made out of Satsuma, I've got it. So I like that because I've gone from pro demos to completely anti demos because they're not proof to now swinging back after this morning thinking, yeah, actually demos for that reason to help kids visualize it and maybe remember it. They, they, they've got a. a, a, a yeah, they've got a, a place. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was interesting as well, and I think this was Colin's kind of big kind of contrarian point that he made, was that the point, like rich, open-ended, more challenging kind of Pythagoras tasks in this case, do they help develop understanding or do they just assess students' understanding? And I thought that was really, really interesting because he, he outlined, didn't he? He said that the way he taught was he teach kids the basics and then he'd allow them to do the deeper, richer tasks to help develop their understanding. But now he's thinking, do those deeper, richer tasks, do they actually just assess understanding that's already present? And if that understanding isn't there, they probably don't help you develop it. Did, did I, did, is that how you interpret what he was yeah, saying? Yeah, I, I think the stuff he said about tasks was the um, perhaps the thing that's really <laughs> disturbed me <laughs> because yeah, 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 yeah. particularly given that I did a, a session on what makes a good task and and, yeah. and, I, and we're always talking about tasks that develop yes. understanding but actually he's right the task isn't developing understanding necessarily um if it'd be a very impressive task if it did develop if it actually did the teaching for you through the task sure, sure. actually what it's doing is it's the tasks are are good with the, the when we talk about a task that's really good for understanding we really like he said we mean the tasks that you can only really do if you understand. Yes, that's it, um, that's it. And, yeah, and so they're really testing understanding and like, you know, oh, a student can't do, can't do this unless they have a really deep understanding. So it's therefore not teaching them to understand. Yes. I, do, I do think though, I feel like some tasks like the stuff on variationtheory.com, which is where students are noticing things and the, the fill in the gaps tasks, I, I do yeah. feel like there perhaps is, if it gets them thinking, then I suppose... I see that as a good thing, but I suppose it's not necessarily helping them to under deeply understand I, the concept. It's the same as like Collins mathematical etudes. They'd be a similar kind of concept where yeah. kids are practicing basics, but they're noticing relationships and so on. So I, it comes back to this thing about what do we mean by understanding? Like if they are thinking a bit deeper than just me meaninglessly carrying out the procedure, then surely, and they're noticing things and spotting relationships. I think that is helping develop understanding. 
But I take Colin's point that it's not just this case that you teach them the basics and then you give them this magic task. You sit back and have a cup of tea and they become, you know, amazing reflective mathematicians. Whereas I think that's a lot, I mean, that's a lot of the ways I used to teach, teach the basics, then give them, give them some problem solving task. It, it was just, it, again, it just got you thinking, didn't it? Yeah. Cause he said, he said sort of model A of teaching is number one, teach the facts and procedures and number yeah. two, give them some problem solving and rich tasks in the kind of vague hope that they will develop a deep perceptual yeah. understanding. But <laughs> yeah, so then yeah. I was, and I thought, well, obviously that's what I do. And then I thought, what's, what's, what's the alternative? Yes. And he said some kind of model where, where, teaching helping them to develop the connections yes um, and he showed that lovely example of um he said you know if you've got like a squared plus b squared is less than c squared um and using sort of dynamic software showing how that's an obtuse triangle yes. a squared plus b squared equals c squared is a right angle triangle and a squared plus b squared is greater than c squared is an acute uh, yes. triangle um and he and he was sort of talking about the that, that's all about making connections and perhaps that helps develop the understanding. So I suppose, yeah, I mean, I I suppose the sort of just teaching some procedural stuff and then throwing them into rich tasks isn't yes. isn't how you develop understanding. Um, obviously, understanding, I mean, he described it in himself as like it's the holy grail, isn't it? So yeah, everyone, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I absolutely, my, my, the thing I hate most is when teachers are so, or anyone is so negative about other teachers when they say, that they're not trying to teach for understanding as if any of us, you know, as if, as if what, what, who, what maths teacher doesn't want their students to understand the maths really frustrates me when people imply that because it's really patronizing of teachers yes. and it's really insulting when anyone suggests that we don't want our students to understand it's just because some of us go about it in a, in a different way or we might have a different yes. idea of how we can build that understanding on the stage that we're going to do it. Um, but yeah, it is the Holy grail. And I think what happened is I've come away just sort of thinking, um, everything he said makes sense, but I, I still don't really know how to how to get. Yeah, to I don't know what. To, yeah, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I I completely agree. I th- I also thought it was interesting where he said at one point, there's kind of a there could be an argument if if relationships are the keys to understanding. Well, there was there's two things really. So if if relationships and connections are the keys to understanding, the first is that you may need to revisit it later, and I think this is really true with with Pythagoras that. Until you know cosine rule, you probably don't fully appreciate Pythagoras. Yeah. And you, that, that's when it kind of sunk in for me. And actually, even more than that, probably it was only when I started teaching cosine rule that I really understood Pythagoras. I don't think I understood Pythagoras even as a, as a student when I was doing yeah. um, cosine rule and so on. So I think that's interesting that maybe that understanding does possibly come later, but you've got to make sure you, you can't just take it for granted. You've got to draw those links. You can't just hope that you teach cosine rule and all of a sudden kids will remember, oh, this reminds me of Pythagoras, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You've got to be explicit. And this was the second thing that I just wanted to say to you, that he said um, that there may be an argument for explicitly teaching kids or pointing out the kids to the kids these relationships, not just hoping mm-hmm. that they'll draw these connections. And this is where I think you really start to divide the crowd, right? And Colin said he doesn't necessarily mean using explicit instruction to, to point out the relationships, mm-hmm. but not just relying on some kids to discover them and some kids not to, or not just relying on some kids to notice something in a task and some kids not to. But if it's so important to understanding, explicitly pointing out these relationships. And that that's quite, I mean, that's quite a controversial viewpoint, isn't it? That when we start to, when we start to get to conceptual understanding of relationships, the, this, I think there is one viewpoint that is, that's all got to come from the kid. Whereas yeah. I think what Colin was saying there is possibly, if these relationships are so important, perhaps there is a role for the teacher 
not just kind of guiding the kids towards it, but actually saying, look, you need to notice this now. I don't know. Yeah. Again, that, that, that was just my interpretation. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But actually, what I liked was he, he said, Colin basically said, I don't that he doesn't know whether he really understands Pythagoras, and I was thinking, yeah, you know what? I don't think I really understand. Yeah, I and, it, and it's that kind of yeah. level of deepness. Yeah, I understand it to a certain level, but yeah. do I, you know, do I really understand it? And he said, we need. To, when he showed some of the proofs, and he said, you can see, like, you can see how some of the proofs work, but do we really get? <laughs> do we really yeah. understand? And he said, actually, if we're a bit more honest with students about how some things are quite mysterious to us, yes. Um, yes. then he said, because he said that we lose a lot of students because they think they're meant to have a deeper grasp than yeah. they do. So they, yeah. they they sort of fret and they think, oh, I, I don't I don't really understand this, therefore I must be bad at it. So we need to yeah. be more honest and say, it's okay to find some things a bit mysterious. Yes. And it's okay to not necessarily have this really deep understanding of every bit of maths we do, um, because that's the same for mathematicians as well. We don't yes. have this, we don't have a massive... So it was nice that he was... He was saying that we maybe need to be more honest because otherwise along the way we're just losing everyone where people yeah. are dropping out and hating maths because they think, oh, I just don't, I just don't understand this. I don't know how it works. And so we're, we're sort of putting this pressure on students and they're, they're therefore thinking that they're useless because they don't understand something that we don't really understand. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you what I like. Do you remember at the start, he said, and I forget the paper he referenced, but somebody had broken down kind of procedural fluency yeah. or conceptual understanding into yeah. four things. So you kind of have a kind of shallow procedural fluency and a deep kind of understanding of the, the, yes. the procedural fluency, then a shallow conceptual understanding and a deep conceptual understanding. I think that's really nice. So like, I think, I'll tell you where I am with Pythagoras. I think I've got quite a deep procedural understanding of Pythagoras. Like I can use Pythagoras on anything, apart from 3D where I'm crap at 3D. (laughs) Anything 2D, I'm loving a bit of Pythagoras. And I think, whereas I think now I've got a pretty shallow conceptual understanding. Like, again, I could recreate a proof. I I certainly couldn't come up with one myself and I certainly couldn't explain it to somebody. I don't think, not not particularly well, I don't think. But again, perhaps if we frame it into the, into that level with our kids, that our first goal, well, if, if we have a shallow conceptual understanding, but a really deep procedural understanding, that's good enough. That's really good because you'll be able to yeah. answer any question and eventually maybe we'll get to the point where you, it'll, it'll all start making a lot more sense. But I, I thought that was quite a useful way of breaking things down. Did, did you like yeah. that? Yeah, that was, I think, I think he said the person was star who wrote ah, that paper nice. and I, I hadn't I wasn't aware of that and it was a nice um a nice way of looking at it and actually I because I like the idea of a deep procedural understanding um and I think probably a lot of the tasks particularly kind of working backwards and mm, um yes. and those kind of all those all those lovely tasks that I talked about in my session last week I think they probably develop a deep procedural yes, understanding, yes. Um, but not n- not necessarily a deep conceptual understanding. And it's funny because I th- I think I'm really good at Pythagoras. In fact, Pythagoras is normally my if I'm solving a, a puzzle like a geometry problem. Um, I remember when when I used to do them when Ed Southall used to share them, and I could just yeah, yeah. about cope with these uh, problems. <laughs> and I always I always default to Pythagoras, whereas a lot of people yeah. default to like similar triangles and stuff. But then actually, um, when Colin put up some problems, I really found them very they were hard. hard. And the thing they is, they hard. they were really challenging. And and he was at, he was trying to make a point there that by giving us some really rich tasks that made us think were we developing our understanding like not at all like me trying those tasks got me thinking which is a good thing because I was being a mathematician and I was trying stuff but definitely didn't develop my understanding in any way at all and and so he did make his point well by giving us some really challenging tasks to do 
Yeah, that was good. And the only other thing I was I was going to say as well, and, and then I'll hand over to you just in case there's anything else from that, is whilst we're talking about understanding, um, I think I mentioned to you, and I, th- I put it on Twitter, that coming up soon on the podcast is my first ever double bill, where we've got Chris Bolton and Anne Watson, same episode with me in the middle. And one of the things, I mean, you want to see Joe's face? <laughs> it, it, it could be interesting. Um, and one of the things we're going to be talking about there is what is what does it mean to understand something? And I think that'll be fascinating to to have certainly well both of their perspectives because I would imagine they're going to agree on quite a few things, but I think this may be something where they possibly disagree. But again, yeah, because I think Chris is quite an extreme thinker on this yeah. matter, from what I've seen. I think he once had a presentation titled something like "Who cares about understanding? Don't bother with that" or something. So yeah, he's um he's obviously quite got quite extreme views on that. Um, so yeah, that'll be really interesting. interesting. But again, it all comes down to again, and I don't think we pinned it down at the end of Collins thing. What 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 do we mean by? We certainly yeah. I don't know what we mean by understanding, and I certainly don't know how we get kids to understand. No, things, I, I was I, trying to I was trying to think of an example of that, and I think you know when you get you know like loads of students when they're working out the air of a triangle forget to halve it. Like it's really yeah, really common. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, there's part of that is they, they're forgetting to do something because yeah. they're not engaging their brain. Yeah. But if someone is not halving it because they don't know they're meant to, they yes. clearly don't understand triangles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, an yeah. example of, of what we mean by understanding. If, if this, you know, if a student actually has, has spent enough time understanding the concept yes. of the area of a triangle being half the area of a rectangle, then they should understand why they're, why they're using that particular formula. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing is that when we talk about understanding Pythagoras, it's hard to really pin down what we mean by that. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. that was probably one of um, Colin's points was just like, we, we, we can assess we can assess we normally it's hard to assess understanding because we don't really know what understanding looks like and when we try and assess it we're assessing all sorts of other things at the same yeah. time um but yeah it's a case of um you know w- what exactly do we mean um when we talk about a student actually understanding things um and i don't know i'm i, I i'm lost now after colin's talk <laughs> I think the th- I think the biggest thing for me was when he he, a- he was absolutely spot on when he said he talked about rich tasks not actually developing understanding and yeah, I just felt like my world broke off. Yeah, you're out of a job there, Joe. That's your <laughs> that's you finished there, I'm afraid. Blog shut down. Yeah, inter- <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting. Right, okay. Well we best we best move on. Um but yeah, cracking keynote that absolutely cracker. Yeah. Uh, right, what did you go to? So there's three sessions, right? Well, what did you go to first? Um, I went to see Sue Coven talking about UKMT in the classroom. Oh, yes, I saw that one. Yeah, go on. Give, yeah. give us some takeaways from that. Um, so that was, it was a lovely session because we got to try lots of UKMT junior math challenge problems so I could yes. I could answer them. So that was good because <laughs> I didn't yes. want to try any senior ones. And um, we, were, we were thinking about when presented with each of these problems, how would our students react? Um, what would make them like what might they might they find daunting about them and what prompts can we give them without giving the answer away and then um, she also talked about ways that we can prepare our students for the um, the the junior maths challenge but um, the main focus really was on um, just using them in lessons and how they're I mean we all know they're lovely problems Um, but it was interesting because there was the first cut there maybe three the first three I did which were angles were ones where you know, like say, say you've got, um, say you're working out a, a, a marked angle, and sometimes you have to subtract from 180 and then subtract from 180 again, and then you realise yes. that you didn't have to do it twice because actually, yeah. and it's that kind of that that thing that I don't actually explicitly teach students about the exterior angle in the triangle being equal to the sum of the two yeah. in, you know, the, you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> and the thing is that actually, 
it made me realize that comes up so much in UKMT problems that if I was preparing a group to take the UKMT junior maths challenge that's something I would explicitly talk to them about is that kind of relationship there because you know it comes up all the time but there were other there were other features in the problems like quite often there's notational things where it says like find the size of angle PQR and students need to know which one that is and also there's often quite a lot written in the question so for example it might one question said this is an equilateral triangle and then it had a whole load of other stuff and then it said now work out the angle PQR or whatever and the triangle in the diagram looked in no way equilateral so for a start you have to get your head around the fact that it's not looking like you expect it to look but also you have to have read the blurb because actually in quite often in exam questions the the text is irrelevant because they've marked everything yep. on the diagram anyway yep. so whereas in this case you actually have to have read it otherwise you've oh, missed the, the bit of information you need um and so there were some really useful little things there that i hadn't really noticed in these questions um and you know she talked about um she talked about certain questions being really good for group discussion um and how they can all explain their thinking so you can give them these quite complex angle questions and get them in in pairs or groups and they can kind of work through them together and explain their reasoning at each step so she has some really nice ideas for how to use um the problems um yeah so it was really good i enjoyed it i enjoyed it because i enjoyed doing the problems because they were even though they're junior math challenge a couple of them i got stuck on one of them you know these are aimed at 11 year olds (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, I was stuck on the perimeter one, but yeah, it was. It was. They were. They were lovely problems, and um, yeah, I've got. I've got angles particularly because there's certain themes in the paper, and the angles ones are particularly nice. Um, so I'm teaching angles soon, so I'll be. I'll be making sure that I use some of the ones that she highlighted. Well, so here's my question to you about that. Um, yeah. Are you Are you using them with all kids? Because again, this is the thing in it. Traditionally, they they tend to be used as extension or. Yeah used in maths clubs for kids who are preparing for the UK and yeah. that feels like a lost opportunity to me yeah it was interesting because she actually shared a document and it's in for delegates they can see it in the um, delegate pack she's actually got the document in there and it was a document that showed all the various ways that people use them and it's, ah. it did say some people use these questions for the students that finish their work quickly yep. so basically your fastest students are the only ones getting to see them some people are using them as um as it like starters for the whole class okay. some people are using them to help prepare just this little club who are going to be yep. doing the challenge and um, but actually one thing i mean my my homeworks are pretty boring because i literally just set hegarty for homework every single yep. week and i do wonder if sometimes i should um just have one week break from hegarty and set them you know set them at, um, some some of these UKMT problems um, just like a little you know like a sheet with like four of them on have a go at these at home and we'll go through them in class and we'll, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about them in class yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the thing is because they're not all impossible you know the, no, the junior no. math I mean I, I don't think I'd do that for the intermediate and the senior math challenge necessarily because they're really really hard but the junior yeah. math challenge ones and um, there's there are some pretty accessible questions there um, I think that would be so I, I actually made me think that maybe I should um maybe use them as a homework but yeah the um there is a question isn't there of how to sort of get everyone involved in that kind of thing without um because often they just get you saved for your extension work yeah and you don't want to but again the same time you don't want to kind of knock kids confidence and stuff with loads of questions they can't do um i always love frosty uh, that's Frost's use of uh, use of these like if you ever download one of his powerpoints he loves a junior math challenge or an intermediate math challenge question but he also loves 
a flipping kangaroo, doesn't he? Chuck a kangaroo round or a, yeah. Yeah, on a skull and crossbones question. Well, he works in the grammar school and it's just a really, <sighs> it's kind of really different context to, you know, so when I think, um, you know, yeah, if I was teaching a top set, I'd probably use them all the time. Um, but yeah, I've got, a, like, I'm thinking in my year seven, so I'm going to be teaching angles too. And I've got a real mix in that class. Yeah. I've got some, because we've actually got the junior math challenge coming up. And what we did was... Um, the the person who's running it in my school she just wanted to enter all our top sets in year seven and eight and I was like no I don't want to do it that way I really really don't like that so instead yeah. what we did was we offered it to everyone um, that, yeah. and we said um if you're you know so they're basically it, who cares if they don't do well as you know as in as yeah. in no there's no it's one pound yeah, if we enter yeah. someone who then struggles with it and just gets a little participation certificate that's fine you yeah. know it's one pound yeah. and yeah. so why why would we say that someone who loves maths um but they're in set two why would we say no to them that just yeah. seems really wrong so um luckily I, I convinced them that we're not going to just enter all top set and instead so I've got a middle set yes it's like a mixed middle year seven so you know we, we didn't set our middle of the year and um and I, when I said to them you know I showed them some examples of the questions I showed them some quite hard examples I didn't want to make out it's all going to be really yeah, easy yeah, yeah. and I said you know who, does anyone want to volunteer to to try have a go at this I said you're yeah. gonna to have to prepare at home we're not doing any clubs because we can't run clubs at the moment yeah. so you have to prepare by yourself you'll end you'll sit sail to school one day to do it um and I got six from my class and I was so happy and then nice. actually in the top set they got about the same number volunteered and that's yeah. actually worrying because they're really lacking confidence there. Like they, they, you know, they we we think they're all fantastic mathematicians, and actually they're not. They don't feel like they are. Um, but yeah, I do think that these things should be kind of offered to all, um, and because it's not like it's a huge cost. It's not like you're having to no. sort of invest a huge amount of money. And um, and I think it's it's a nice experience for them to enter a national maths competition. Yeah, and I think there's two levels to it. I think that I completely agree with you there, and also. As you say, there are some questions that are really accessible. Yeah. And that can be a really positive thing. Like if you've got a bottom set, a middle set, or just any kids who lack confidence just generally, if you can have cherry picked a nice question and you can like build it up and say, or, or like give it to the kids, so we solve it and then say, Do you know where this question came from? Yeah. This came from the junior math challenge, the yeah. best mathematics. It can be a real positive thing for, for, for yeah, kids. Yeah, and you know? I, so, I do that. I do that sometimes with GCSE questions. You know, when you've got a key stage three class and you give them a question, yeah. you know, and, by the way, everyone, that Big one reveal. was from GCSE. Yeah, and they love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. It is really confidence building. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think. Um, I think I would encourage people to not just use these for extension work yes. and to try and find other ways. And like you say, sort of um, tell students, oh, this is from a national maths competition. Yeah. Um, and it is quite motivating. Cool. Right. Okay. Well, that sounded a good one. Um, I went to a good one as well, 2 p.m. So <laughs> I did a bit of Tim's, right? And I'll tell you oh, why yes. I did this. This is with Jenny Gorley. Because I don't have a bloody clue of what Tim's is, right? And I'll tell you why. And this is even worse than that. I've interviewed Lucy Crean on this podcast, author of Cleverlands, who yeah. wrote an entire book about Pisa and Tim's. And, and, and I still, I, I think it's cause, like, I, have you ever known a kid who's sat one of these Tim's things? Once, yeah. I don't know if it was Tim's or Pisa or whatever it was, but yeah. I actually, it was, it really upset me because this was when at my last school and we had this randomly selected boy who got chosen ah. and he's just not the boy that I would have chosen yeah, to, to represent, to represent the, country. the country. You know, like he was, he, I think it's pleasant. <laughs> He wasn't terrible at maths, but he was yeah, um, yeah. he was a bit he was a bit SCN and a bit there was something I can't really describe why there was just he just wouldn't have been yeah. it's not because he's SCN but because he had certain things that were a bit like I think he used to be someone that used to spend ages and ages 
on every single question to run out of time always uh, and that was a, that okay. was a particular feature of his his SEN yes. like he was he yes. was someone who I believe got extra time in exams at school and had all and you know and, and he was um he was a lovely boy great to teach and then when he got picked I thought are they going to give him extra time in Tim's yeah, because they don't know that he's they've yes. randomly picked an SEN child um so yeah I don't know I don't know whether they take those things into account no no um, and I, I don't know I, I don't know how they pick people I, I assume it must be completely a random right it, like it's the only fair way I think to, so, to, yeah. to do it but anyway so I thought I'd go in there just to learn some things and I certainly did I'll just just do this brief because what I'm going to do I'm going to put a couple of the slides in the show notes so people can read them just with a few facts. So a couple of facts for you here, Joe. Uh, Tim's has run every four years since 1995. It runs with year... Oh, I should ask you, what two year groups do Tim's, Joe Morgan? Bit of a See, I, don't, I don't know the difference between Tim's and the other ones, but I'm going to... No, is, it, is it year is it year nine or ten? For very good, year nine, yeah, very yeah. good. And I do, um, I'm presumably it must be... Is it... Uh, is it a young? Is it a primary? Yeah, age? younger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a primary. Year five. Age. Year five. Year five. Year, yeah. five, year nine. Yeah, I didn't. Did not have a clue about that. Uh, so, um, good. Uh, good fact for you. In the 2019 Tims, all English kids did it on tablets. So oh. we had to. So we had, and I think the same questions were used. This could be a load of nonsense here, but I want to say that some kids in other countries were answering the same questions, but not on tablets. So they had to think really carefully about the design of these questions. And right. so that could be a load of nonsense though. So don't, don't quote that me. Sounds like a, that sounds like a flaw in the research. Yeah, that or flaw in my <laughs> listing is probably more, <laughs> more likely to, to be the case. So a couple of headline figures here. Uh, we're getting better um, in year five and year nine. We're going up, but relatively speaking, we're still doing pretty crap compared to, to, to other countries. But you're, you're talking about us doing better on some arbitrary scale invented yeah. by some random committee somewhere. Like I'm, I'm, not convinced, yeah. um, I'm not convinced about what, you know, they have defined what they think being good at yeah. being good at masses or whatever and you know and that's right yeah. there was a lot of that in there about yeah. what actually we're measuring and particularly these measures of confidence were a bit dodgy as well and yeah. all this kind of stuff like saying that confidence has dipped the questions are so kind of you can so misleading and stuff like um i, I answer questions quickly was seen as like a good thing but like there was no measure of whether you actually get them right or not and all this kind of yeah. stuff like kids and all this kind of thing but anyway there must be so many cultural factors in how people yeah, answer exactly, those exactly. questions or like because is this the one where they ask about te- like they say i'm normally taught in this and they have to say how they're taught at school and oh, you sort of think, oh okay so i think there are some surveys where they say to the students um or maybe they are this is maybe when they survey teachers and and they get and it sort of gives the impression that everyone in a certain country teaches in exactly the same ah, way, which right. you know that yes. we don't all teach in the same way. And um and also I don't think students necessarily know. Like they yeah, might say, yeah, yeah. "Oh, I'm I'm regularly given." It's like um we have student voice in my school, and we ask students. I think there's a question there that asks about stretch and challenge. And you yeah. think a teacher that specifically says, now we're doing yes, a challenge question, yes, yes, yes. people will tick the box to say they're getting challenged in those lessons. Yeah. But a teacher who expertly weaves yeah, it into their lessons, the students don't know it's there, but they're being challenged in a better way. And they will tick the box to say that their teacher doesn't challenge them That's in the lessons. That's interesting. Yeah, so I'm, I'm yeah. not convinced about any any of this, but anyway. No. Yeah. Well, should I just shut up then? Or do you want to, do you want to hear a bit about <laughs> this, this session? Hey, I can imagine your kids saying, Mrs. Morgan always shows us books from the 17th century. That'll be your kind of <laughs> takeaway. But anyway, so a couple of things. One thing that seems to be a trend is that our lowest achieving year nines 
do not do well on these things relative to right, other countries. Yeah. So yeah. I think it was 10, and this seems to be pretty consistent over the last few years, 10% don't even reach the kind of bottom benchmark. Whereas in other countries, even ones who perform on average worse than us, you're looking at 3%, 4%. So something seems to be going on there with our lowest achieving, can't seem to access these, these problems. But the thing I was wondering was, what are these questions? Because I have no idea yeah. whatsoever, but they shared some. So it's fascinating. So I've got some here. Um, so what I'll do, um, I'll copy some of these and put them in the show notes as well. So I've got some year five ones and year nine ones. So what I'll do is I'll just uh, I'll just tell you a few of these. You'll be interested in this, won't you, Joe? Yeah, I know. The thing is that with with all of this, when we hear that say, oh yeah, nines aren't doing well, the the immediate instinct is to be defensive and say, yes, you know, how dare yes. they? How dare they insult this country? But actually, at the same time. Yeah, some of our year nines really don't really haven't yeah. learned much now since primary school, and we know we have. You know, I, I spoke previously at a conference about key stage three. We know they can be the lost years, and I'm not yes. overly surprised. We also have massive cultural issues, um, totally disengaged students in certain uh, parts of society, and it's yeah, I'm, I'm not overly surprised. So I'm going to try no. not to be defensive about <laughs> mass teaching in this country <laughs> because it, it, we have to admit there are some things that um, are not going well. Yeah, and it was interesting. Like, there doesn't seem to be this drop off at the bottom with the year five. So, right. as you say, I suspect it's a key stage three issue. I suspect yeah. it's something that's happening in year seven and eight. So, we, we've talked about this a, a number of times. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, some of these questions are flipping hard, Joe, right? right. So, you've got um, for year five, there's a bit of um, kind of data analysis going on there, uh, even so far as uh, kind of. Um, Interpreting statistics, measuring heights of bar charts is a bit of a time series graph going on that I was looking at thinking I'm not 100% sure I'd figure that out. And then my worst bit, all kind of spatial reasoning where you've got to be reflecting things and all this. And it was interesting. I I, I didn't get a chance to grab a, a snapshot of it. But it seemed to me the, the worst performing area of mathematics for year fives was the geometry and measures. And I know I've spoke with Helen Williams about this, how she feels in early years, this is something that's really been neglected. Yeah. It's kind of been really watered down in the early years framework. And I know, I know, like I really struggle with that. And I just wonder whether, yeah, there's something going on there where it's almost seen as we don't need to put as much time into the kind of visualizing things because kids can either do it or they can't. Whereas I think, I think we've spoke about this as well, that um, if, and I think I spoke about this with, with, with Christian, that if kids are good at the geometry thing, it can really help with the number of the algebra because they can visualize like balancing when they're solving equations yeah. and all this kind of thing. So that, that was quite interesting. So the year five questions were hard, but flipping it, then they got onto the year nine ones. And it's interesting, they showed like a a, they, they call it um, a low benchmark item, an intermediate benchmark item, and a high benchmark item. And these are the ones that they use to kind of position where the kids are kind of internationally. By the time you get into the advanced ones, whew, you get in, um, it's like UKMT problems in a way. There was, there was one with a um, A4 piece of paper where one of the corners had been folded over and the angle had been marked that oh, it yeah. folded. And you had to reason what the angle on the other side was. Oh. So you need to use a couple of angle facts and a bit of kind of visualizing things. And yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was hard. It was just, again, I don't have the, the kind of in-depth knowledge to say anything profound about this surprise surprise but it was just it was interesting for me as a teacher who's quite interested in research to have never seen any of these questions before maybe that again that's just my ignorance and it just i was just yeah i, I was just surprised by the complexity of them and yeah. yeah i just wonder whether as you say there's lots of issues with the measurement of all this but it just 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 makes me just a bit sad that we don't do quite so well on these because they're not like ridiculous problem you don't think 
oh, no kid in the world should be able to do that. But I look at them and think of some of the year nines I've taught and think, well, my, my kids wouldn't be able to do that. But then why, why are other year nines around? I suppose the there, there's so many factors at play. So there's curriculum design. So, you know, what yeah. is actually in the curriculum from a young age? Then there's, um, like I've mentioned, cultural factors. And we yeah. know that in some countries, for example, it is 100% the family's responsibility to teach times tables yeah. and they all do it. And it all just happens outside yeah. of school. Whereas a lot of our time at primary is, is spent teaching times tables. And it's like such a time drain. Um, and we, we know they're really important and we know it's important that students have that sort of um, instant recall for when they get onto harder topics. But yeah, in some countries, it's it's the family's responsibility yeah, to teach that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so we've got culture issues, we've got curriculum, we've got teaching style. Um, and I suppose there's probably a million other factors that play into the differences between countries. So it must be quite hard to take these results and decide what actions we need to take yes, you know yes. that is it is it that our curriculum like you say maybe yep. do we need more geometry at primary yep. school or do we need um is it like i always say that we have just too too much too broad a curriculum yeah, and if we yeah. narrowed it so that we were spending more time on proportional reasoning, for example, yeah, would we yeah. then be able to do better in these international tests? And yes. I mean, we don't care. That's obviously not what's driving us, but we do care about our students um, enjoying maths and being able to, I mean, what do we, why do we care about them being good internationally? I suppose so that we want our students to be able to be part sort of compete globally in terms yeah. of the yeah. best um, maths qualifications and careers and stuff like that. And also I, I just hate the way that I feel like this is about, almost it's it's like global posturing or maybe it's about making us like a, a global superpower where we're all really yeah. really good at maths like I'm just interested in the kind of the drivers behind this why as a nation do we why is it so important that um, we're better at maths than other countries um, I don't really know yeah no uh, no I, I agree I was I was pondering that and again I'll, I'll wrap it up on this the other thing I've been guilty of this kind of narrow way of thinking that when you see like South Korea and Singapore and Japan are doing like amazing, the lazy way to justify that is, well, they're just like robots. They can just kind of, they, they can, they can just do procedures, but they don't have a clue about the conceptual understanding to go back with what Colin Foster was saying. But you look at these questions oh, yeah, yeah. and they're pure, they're, they're good questions. They're pure yeah. conceptual understanding. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. And it's 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 the kind of maths I want my kids to be able to do. Yeah. That's so it. The, and it's it's all too easy to dismiss it, isn't it? You know, these these results. That's the thing. But we know we know from all the work that Maths Hubs did in Shanghai yeah, that there is yeah. amazing teaching going on there. Yes. Um but we also know that they have the time to be amazing yeah. teachers. And yeah. we know that again, that's one of the massive the massive constraints in this country is, is that they will discuss their teaching as a as a math department and they will yes. plan their lessons together and they've got tons of time to do it. And the other thing, and I don't know how true it is, but there was some people said that there was this, there seemed to be this thing of, of removing the weaker students from the picture. I don't know what happens to the weaker students, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't know. The school systems yeah. differ as well. Whereas yeah, we have this okay. really, truly comprehensive everyone's in system. Um, and um, and you know we're but we're doing the best we can. I'd like to say we're doing the best we can with the time we've got, which is ridiculously limited. Yeah. You know, we none of us get any time to plan our lessons, and it's just to, to then expect us to do good quality lessons with no time to plan them. It's just yes. a load of nonsense. Um, but yeah, there's there's I'm sure there's lots of things we could learn still from these high performing jurisdictions. But you're right when you I've looked at some of the questions from these studies before, and they're certainly. It's not all about procedures at all. No, it's it's very, they're very much reasoning questions. Their, their students are better at reasoning than our yes. students. So then that's, that's what we should care about, really. 
Very good, Joe. Very good. Right. Well, um, I'll just say this now. I, I didn't go to the three PM. I'll tell you what I was going to go and see, and this is no, this is no good. I know, but I'll just say I really wanted to go and see a Neil Barker's uh, session on teaching mathematics to secondary students on the autistic spectrum. The reason I didn't is my uh, dad and his wife uh, came around. We haven't seen them since lockdown, and they, they don't really know Isaac all that well and all that kind of thing. So they were around, and I was <laughs> I was listening to Colin Foster and the Tim session whilst they were there. And I thought, I've got, I've got to make a call here. I've got to make a call. So I had to take out the, the headphones and uh, engage with the family. So I can't, believe, I, I can't believe you did any of the conference when you're back. Well, I just know. Well, it was kind of a bit of a double booking. We, it was kind of a bit of a mess up. They didn't realise the thing was on and all that kind of thing. But anyway, it all worked out well. Uh, but yeah, I didn't go to my 3pm. But you will have gone to a 3pm. I did, there, so yeah. There was lots good. lots of good sessions to choose from here. Yeah, and um, I know a lot of people uh, went to see... Um, Katrina doing her puzzles, and I knew I wouldn't yeah. be able to do any of them. So I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, correct. Um, I went to see Tandy uh, Klaus and May, who was talking about angles as a measure of turn, which we know is you something love a bit of this. I'm yeah. not. You know, we know it's something I'm not very good with, so I had. To, I, I am seeking to improve um, because um, you know we. And actually, this was this was really interesting. What she she talked about the curriculum and how, and it's a lot of this. I sort of touch on at the beginning of my topics in depth you know we recorded with Tez and it's on uh it's on YouTube our topics in depth session on angles but this idea of in year one and year two students are introduced to angles in terms of turning and I talk about how they do this sort of robot turning a quarter turn and a half turn and it's all about rotation and turn and then when they get into year three it's about description of uh description of turn still they've still got the idea of turning but also about the property of a shape so then it becomes yes. like a static angle idea, like yes. this shape has a right angle as opposed to turning a right angle. Yes. And then yes. year four, it's all about properties of shape. So there's no mention of turning yeah. on the year four curriculum. And then when you get into um, year five, that's when the idea of degrees are introduced. Um, and they're measuring them with protractors. And obviously a protractor, nothing turns when you look at a protractor. Yes. It, yes. It, you yes. know, it doesn't move. Um and 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 the whole idea of turning is lost. And in fact, in year six, they're again looking at angles as properties of shapes. And then the whole way through key stage three and four, angles are properties of shapes. Angles yes, have become yes, static. Yes. And there's literally after year one and year two, just no mention of the fact they're a, a, a measure of turn. Um, and that's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> like because um, it's and there's actually when I was when I was researching my topic in depth um, session, I really struggled even to find. Um, I, I couldn't figure out what visualizations you can use to describe that. Term. You've got the opening book and then you've got mm. a kind of opening door. Yeah, but apart yeah. from that, if you're sort of looking for images of angles, they're all static. Um, yeah. So um, Tandy's session was really about, um, about using manipulatives and, and ideas around seeing the, the, these angles in dynamic ways. So nice. seeing them as, as turns rather than static. Um, and we did, I'll show you the equipment I've used today. I don't know if you can see this. Can you see? Cotton bud? It's a cotton bud and I've painted the end pink. I thought yeah. it was wax from your ear. Is that what you painted? It's fluorescent pink, Craig. I don't have right, fluorescent okay. pink. Right, <laughs> <laughs> um, Because what she wanted us to use was a matchstick and I don't have matchsticks. Nice, um, so yeah. I grabbed a cotton bud and you just right. had to have one end that was clearly different from the other end. So I, I had a highlighter to hand. Um, nice, okay. And then, and then what we were doing, and you've probably seen this before, um, this idea of I drew a say a triangle on a piece of paper in front of me, okay. and then I used my little um, uh, cotton bud to kind of 
walk around the inside and turn through the angles um and something i mean even even little things that i hadn't realized is as i drew i drew the angles on and and, and i i should be drawing those angles with an arrow so basically as you draw you know when you draw you mark an angle on a diagram and you yeah. do a arc yeah. Even just even just making that arc have an arrowhead on it yes. is showing that that's a turn. It's not a static good. thing. Um, and I hadn't even hadn't even thought that I should be drawing um, arrows on my um, angle arcs. But one thing I realised, I wonder if I can show you this. It's difficult because we're in a podcast and no one can actually see what I'm showing. But you know that thing where students think that a smaller, a bigger arc is a bigger angle. Do you know what yes. I mean? So like, if I, I was do. to draw an angle and I. You can't see, can you? Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've drawn an arc, and now I'm going to draw an arc that's just further out. Yeah. I haven't changed the angle. Yeah, so it's the same angle. Now, I it's one of those things where I don't think my students do it. No, they're fine. And then actually then I had a year nine do it the other day where we were doing angles in polygons, and there was some kind of angle question where she said something about how, oh, but that one's got a bigger arc, so it's a bigger angle. And I was like, no, you can't think that. And it made me realise just using my little cotton bud – and sort of tracing over each of those shows that you're moving yeah. it the same amount. And yes. it's just such a, just using a little um, a little stick or something and yep. literally um, moving your angle across the big arc. And yes. then the small arc shows that you've moved it the exact same, you've turned it, not moved That's it, good. you've turned it the exact same amount. So it made me sort of think about how I could make more use of this kind of idea in year seven, because I'm teaching angles soon. Um, for this to just when I'm talking about when I'm introducing angles and I'm introducing those ideas I might even take in some cotton buds you know I might might even do this because I just think that just that idea of just tackling that big misconception about the where the arc is drawn making a difference it's just really easy to show if they can turn something um, so I, I, I'm going to do that. But she actually, in her session, it was really cool because she, um, but then we looked at quadrilaterals. So, you know, like if you move the little uh, the thing inside a quadrilateral yeah. and go around each of the angles, yeah. it ends up facing the same way you started yeah. because yeah. you've gone through a whole 360, you've gone through yeah. a whole full turn. But what I've never seen it done with before is polygons. So polygon angles or, po- you know, pentagons, oh, hexagons. Yes. And, and she did this fascinating stuff which I can't really describe here because it's just too fascinating um where she basically she like had a triangle now let's say she had a quadrilateral which she turned into a pentagon by breaking one of the sides she, okay. imagine imagine a quadrilateral break one of the sides yep. and kind of pull it out and she was doing yep. all this with amazing animations and powerpoint Got it. pull it out and that gives you a pentagon yeah yep. so your quadrilateral break a side pull it out into another angle and you've got a pentagon yeah and then she did this cool thing where she basically then flattened that side again. But we said it was still a pentagon, even though it looks like it's got four sides. But we're basically yeah. saying that we're going to turn 180 degrees at that point. Oh, it's too hard to describe. I can't describe it here. Anyway, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> and the thing is that I'm currently in the middle of planning uh, topics in depth session for angles and polygons. Oh, wow. Um, and this was really insightful for me because I've been thinking a lot about the idea of breaking sides of polygons yeah. to make new polygons and this was it, it was it was really really interesting stuff um oh and she also showed us that alternate angles and parallel lines are not equal they're equal in magnitude but they're not the same angle because they're actually inverses in that they go in different directions <laughs> so that was all like mind-blowing what like what? yeah so so it was all it's quite hard to describe it all without seeing without either having the manipulative in your hand yeah. or without seeing her really good animations 
Um, and her, basically her conclusion was, um, if an angle is a turn, then um, a polygon isn't a shape. It's a locus. Jesus. So, yeah, this was, really, this was really deep, like deep thinking. Um, I mean, anyway. As we've established at the start, I'm a very shallow thinker, not like this other podcast you've been on. So I couldn't understand that anyway. That sounds absolutely fascinating. It was really good. Yeah, well, it was it was nice because it was a small session because there were there were twelve of us there. So we, oh, um, wow. it, it, she said, cameras on, and I thought, oh, God, I'm not, I'm not oh, ready for cameras yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but actually, um, it was it's quite nice to see the faces of the people yeah, who. Yeah. It was like sitting around a table and all of us kind of drawing and and moving our little sticks around. Oh, that so, sounds really good. Yeah, it was nice. But she did she did have some really. She had some really nice ideas, particularly to do with breaking sides of, of polygons to make new polygons and the effect that has. And I'm going to be yes. thinking a bit more about that when I'm planning my topics in depth. But I do. But the the main point that I think that my takeaway really was just that it's it's so messed up that we in year one and two um, introduce this idea of angles as being turns. And yeah, then we just abandon that idea yeah, and they just yeah. become these static properties of shapes. Yeah. And that is, that's really doesn't sit very well. So um, yeah, there's a, there, that, that was a sort of a, a good thing for me to reflect on. Ooh, that sounds a good one, Joe. Yeah, it was good. Oh, I like that. I like that. Right. Okay. So we've got one more session each to do. Yeah. So I'll go next. So my final one, I saw, uh, I hope I'm saying this right. Definitely Kirsty. I've nailed the first name. Oh, I saw this one as well. Kirsty oh, Bean. Yeah. Bean. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Okay. Well, this is good. I always like it when we've surprised each other. We've seen the same session. So I'm going to say straight away that you need to up your game because I think she showed about 400 resources in this session. And you normally <laughs> only do about 20 or 30. So that's the first That's the first point I wanted to raise. Um, so a couple of things that I took away from this, and I'll shut up and hand over back to you. I thought it was interesting where when she showed, like, for example, some enriched tasks, how it wasn't just, right, here's the task, let's play around with it. But she had specific reference to how she might use it, like with a nurture group or a lower achieving yeah. group. And I thought that was really interesting. So how she'd avoid the algebra, but she'd get the recording results systematically and then talk about patterns and relationships. And that's often something that's lost. We, we've spoken about this before, where enrich is sometimes seen as just the extension or just for the quicker students or the brighter students. But thinking about how to take the core idea of an enriched task, but adapt it to work with lower achieving students. I thought that was really yeah, nice. Yeah, she talked about leveling down and leveling up. So yeah, yeah taking a task it. and and because we we did that lovely task, didn't we, with the dice and yes. and it was and it was and it was a um a, it was just such an easy to differentiate task where she yeah. said because she's when she's talking about nurture groups, she's she's kind of she said that you know some people call them bottom set, but actually I think of a nurture group as being a very small class, almost kind of. Um, kind of a, a separate thing to a bottom set yeah, sometimes so yes, yes. you know it's um often you've got your um you've got your ta support for your yeah. ehcps in there um and um and we know that these classes actually even though they're really small groups have massive variation in what they can do yes. so you really have to differentiate so even though you sort of think i'm teaching this class where they're all really weak at maths and they all need lots of support and they need all, all this scaffolding and differentiation um yeah the differentiation is the thing that's actually quite surprising and then you, you know um at my school we've got a student who's working at about the age six or age five like he really he he really can um he can't really count and stuff like that yes. but yet he would be in the same nurture group as a student who is really sort of working at a year six level or something yes. and there's a huge yes. difference between of them course. but they're but yet still on in a sort of secondary school they're both end up in a nurture group so yeah her leveling up and leveling down was um was really that. insightful 
I thought I was, I like that. I also like some of the Euros banging on about the um, use of calculators in year seven. She chopped yeah. that up in the end. You're yeah. always banging on about that, right? And she showed that, another thing you're always banging on about, maths pad. She showed that excellent maths pad resource, the using a calculator, odd one out one, which I really, really like. Yeah, and she talked about the new the new curriculum book that's a maths pad are outstanding. And they... Um, because they've, they've made the place value ones available to everyone for free. Yes. And then you yes. have to have a massive subscription to get the rest. But what she mentioned was that they, they have different levels and there is a support booklet. So for yes. every every topic that they release booklets for, there's one that's kind of specifically made for those students that need that extra support. And and um, yeah, that MathsPad are incredibly generous sharing the place value one for free. Um, but I, I mean, obviously, I, I use MathPad and I'm really, really grateful that they're going to share these these topic booklets for everything. Um, yes. And and that includes these, yeah, these support versions, which um, are full of really lovely activities um, and lots of, you know, she talked about things like, you know, when you, you know, when you have like a code breaker style activity. Mm-hmm. And one of the good things about code breakers is not not necessarily the fact they come up with a funny joke or something, but it's the fact that the answers are there on the sheet. Yeah. So as the students work through if their answer kind of isn't on the list that they're picking from, then then they know that, you know, they need to yes. ask for help. Or So it's that that's one of the things that's really nice about some of those activities is they're sort of matching up or they're ones where they're picking an answer that's, that's presented to them rather than going the whole way through an exercise and yes. they're finding out at the end they've got them all wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And you love a bit of maths, bad. And again, it always blows my mind that you're not... Uh, you're not like getting any cash from this from promoting them all the time, are you? This is you should. Oh, you know what? You know what? I have to be. I have to be honest here. Oh, I don't take. Go. I don't take any any money from anyone for anything. And I get. I get probably like three or four emails a day asking to put guest posts on my blog. Yeah, I had yeah. someone the other day ask me to do some um, sponsor sponsor tweets. So they were going to yes, pay nice. me, and they wanted me to tweet about their product. And it's like that is Ooh. so like unethical for yeah, me to pretend yeah, yeah, that I yeah. like something for money. Um, I would never do that. Um, Is that Mark but... McCourt completely? <laughs> <No. laughs> um, and so I say no to all of that. Yeah, and yeah. the one perk I take from my blog is I get a free MassPad subscription. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And the thing uh, is, I know I do talk about them a lot, and I don't do that because they give no. me the free stuff. This is not like a deal I've done with them. Um, they are just grateful that I talk about them a lot, and so they, yes. they very kindly give me the free access. Um, but, yeah, yeah the... Um, I, 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 if I didn't, if they didn't give me, don't tell them because they'll start charging me. But if they didn't give me the free access, I would 100% pay for that. Like, yes, it's the, no, it's... to me, it's the best thing that there is. Like, I, I absolutely love MassPad. And just for the record, I am not as ethical as Joe. If anyone wants to pay me for anything, <laughs> just go for it. Send me a message. I'll do it. I'll do it. Right. Um, do you, I've got one massive question to ask you at the end. Uh, based on this session, but also kind of wrapping together our, our conversations over the last couple of, last uh, couple of days of the conference. Do you have anything else to say about Kirsty's um, session before? No, I, I think I, I also picked up on what she said about calculators and how empowering they are, and I totally yes. agree with that. She showed a really nice um, activity called Broken Rulers, and I thought it was lovely. Where you know she was saying they were teaching measuring. But instead of just getting students measuring, which is really boring, they all got given uh, a different broken ruler. So basically some of them were sort of cut off before three and some were cut off and they were all asked to measure and they all get different answers. And then she said, then they get handed out these these other broken rules, which are well, the scales are wrong. And the students are really engaged in basically correcting and saying, oh, this scale's wrong and pointing out what's wrong with it. And then they get they get to make their own rulers. And I thought that was a really lovely activity. And the thing is that all the stuff they talked about, if you're teaching a nurture group, um, I think it's really challenging because you just basically, if, you, if you've not taught a nurture group before and then you're given one of these classes, 
that every lesson you're you're yeah. having to think from scratch of these really creative ideas for how yes. to engage them and I think it's it's a really 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 challenging thing to do and you do get some teachers that kind of specialize in nurture group teaching um or you get you know so sometimes you'll get on a team one person who always gets given the nurture group because they really like that kind of yeah, class yeah um, but if you haven't taught one before then actually sort of I was thinking about the activity she was talking about and I was just thinking about how how much time I would need to plan these lessons. And actually one of the things, you know, we talked at the beginning about challenges of teaching students that lack confidence in maths or or have really struggled with maths in the past. And there are lots and lots of challenges. Um, But one of them to me is retention, where you can teach a a class and I'm thinking more, um, you know, just kind of, I'm thinking about a year nine group we've got in my school where they're, you know, they're really, they're quite weak and they're, um, and, and they're, there's a sort of group where you need a really good behavior manager to look after that group because they're, they're challenging characters. Um, and in class, they cut, they're really engaged in the maths. They love, they, as long as you, as long as you kind of pitch it right and you get the right kind of activities, they love coming up to the board and doing stuff. They love, they love it when they answer questions, right? They love a bit of competition. There's all these things they really like. And they're fantastic. And if you were to go and see them in the lesson, you think, wow, that is, a, that is a bottom set that's doing brilliantly. But they won't remember a damn thing when you give them yes, an exam to do. Yes. And I think that's the challenge is how, we, how do we get them to retain? Because they can be fantastic in the lesson and really like, you know, you've got some students who are constantly getting stuff. Every time they put up their hand, they're getting stuff right. You think, wow, they're yeah. doing really well. But then, you know, they're, they're, they're not picking up marks when they're in, in exams. And then so then you've got this like, oh, no, it's such a shame because they're not going to pass their GCSE. And I don't know how to fix that because I don't know how to get them to retain this stuff, no matter how many kind of retrieval starters I do and all that sort of thing. So um, I don't have the answer to that. But I was just, just reflecting on, you know, at the beginning, she talked about the challenges of teaching these groups. And I think retention really is, is one of them. You can get them doing these lovely activities. But, you know, how are we going to get them to remember how to do things in the sort of long term? So, yeah, but it was a really good session. And actually, I should mention that Kirsty, who ran that session, she is an editor of Equals. And Equals is the MA's SEN magazine. And actually, people are often asking for support with teaching SEN. And the MA, the MA's uh, magazine is free. I don't know how often it comes out. It's monthly or maybe once every three months, something. But it's free on the MA website. And it's a really high quality magazine aimed at um, TAs and teachers who are teaching students with um, with special needs. Um, and a lot of people don't know this exists. And it's a really fantastic thing that the MA does. And Kirsty is one of the editors. So it's really good. What did you get? Five hundred quid for saying that, or there's no money involved. It's free. <laughs> it's a charity. As we know, for, as we know from the bloody MA. So as I've mentioned, be paying ten pound. I should actually before we before we uh, talk about your big questions stuff. I should mention that there were other sessions going on at the same time as that one that I didn't go to. Like for example, Rob Easterway. I know he yes. would have been amazing. Yes. Um, but I should also mention that at the same time there was one by Dave and Rhiannon talking about their book yes. club. Um, and, I, and they want you on the book club, you know, you, you need to get involved in this because I'm doing this next week. And um, I actually I didn't go to their session today because I'd actually already watched them on their website. They had a recording of a previous session they did, which I think would be similar to what I did today, where they're explaining why what maths book clubs are all about and wh- why they're so powerful and how helpful it is for teachers who've read a book about maths teaching to sit around and talk about it. Um, and it just it's really, really good stuff. So I'm doing that next week for them. I'm going to be talking. They've already uh, they've already featured my book in their book club before, but that was before they invited authors. So now they're inviting me as the author to speak about my book 
And specifically, we're going to be talking about my angles and polygons chapter. Um, so I've been that's why I've been starting to think a lot about angles and polygons lately. And I'm now going to do a topic in depth on it because I've been preparing for this book club um, thing. And it's really exciting because, you know, to be invited as an author to a book club talking about your book is really quite lovely. And we're going to just sort of go into, into depth on one of my, the chapters and, they, and people can give me their views on it and people can ask me questions. And, and I just think it's fantastic. So, um, yeah, I do, I do encourage people to check that out. It's the, um, what is it, Greenshaw Learning Trust, so GLT Book Club. Um, and um, it's, it just sounds like a really fantastic thing to do given that there's lots of education books around and people when people read a book it's a really good idea to discuss it so yeah I I, I recommend to people they check out the the GLT book club well I'm annoyed at them right because <laughs> I, I, how low down the list am I to be an ass here I think they were You've just scared to rush I just I, I, bet, I knew you were going to say that anyone written any if you've written a bloody blog post you're invited to chat about it in this book club you know, so I'm absolutely feeling. I think it's anyway, you're just such a such a famous, such a, such a big deal, Craig, that they just That's felt it. like they were you were too unapproachable. But that but now be. I've said it here, you're gonna you're gonna have to go on it. You know? it. So I'm doing That's them a favour. But yeah, I think they probably it was a bit like you asking, say, Hannah Fry to go on your podcast, where you were a little bit hesitant at first because she's my so good friend, good friend, your good friend. Right. Anyway, right. So here's my final question for you, Joe Morgan. Then we'll yeah. wrap things up. So did you see on Twitter? I think you did because you retweeted it. I think Tom Frankham shared that article that he, yes. him, Colin Foster, and Dave Hewitt had written, where they're putting together this. It's essentially I'd call it a curriculum, right? Almost kind of, kind of a research backed fully resourced free maths curriculum would that be the right phrase well the thing is i haven't i've i read the little extracts but i actually haven't read the the full article um and i need to because everyone was responding saying this is amazing (laughs) so and i I, is it i mean when they say i mean the thing is what 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 do we mean by curriculum do we mean an order of teaching um i think so is that what that means i mean it's complicated because we have a national curriculum in this country so the curriculum already exists Curriculum might not be the phrase. I may have chucked curriculum in. No, I think you're right. right. They are. It is a curriculum they're doing. I'm sure, I, order, sure order's involved. Order must be involved somewhere, right? Surely. Um, I, mean, I guess so. The thing is, we have a we have a national curriculum that dictates what we teach in maths, more so yeah. than other subjects where they can determine their own curriculums, particularly yeah. at Key Stage 3. Um, so I suppose when we talk about a resourced maths curriculum, what I picture is almost a scheme of work although I wouldn't like to use the term yeah, of work, that's what but, I see but yeah, yeah basically a something that says um here's a way that we can um here's a way we can teach um maths in primary and secondary and and here's I mean what I don't know what they mean by resourced um but I know that I mean because I saw obviously Mark McCourt has kind of tried to do this through c- the complete maths platform hasn't he where he's got this whole curriculum which is flexible because obviously we know that you can't assign timings to things yes, because yes obviously so so i'll be really i don't i haven't read it yet so what i need to do is the whatever whatever the thing is tom frankham has shared i need to read that um and understand what they're doing but i know a lot of people are getting very excited about it yeah um, and I, it's I think that anything bit... that anything he's involved in will be excellent quality because yeah, it's your bit. As I say, if you've got Colin, Dave Tom, and, and Dave Hewitt, yeah. it's your big names. It's the the article's a bit of a te- like it's massive. The the paper, but it's a bit of a tease. It tells tells uh, you what's what's coming. You know. Okay. But um, it's really interesting because they have obviously confronting directly the fact that people have different views on how things should be taught and yeah. they're building in fluency they're building in rich tasks in there and all. It's it. I'll just be fascinated because I've. Um, 
I've spoke to Dave on on the podcast, um, and we disagreed on quite a number of things. And I think Tom, but I think both Dave, Tom, and Colin, they're also quite balanced. And it's going to be interesting what, what, what it looks like. Does it look like Mark McCourt's, or does it look like... I know Cambridge Mathematics, I think, are working on something similar. Yeah. I'd just be interested in what, what it's going to look like. But my final question for you, Joe, is, again, it comes back to our textbook conversation we had at the end of day one. If this thing's really good, if it's like, if it's if it's just you looking at it and think, flipping it, this is good, is that your resource hunting days over? Like, are you, are, you lo- are you looking for something like this? Are you happy kind of piecing things together yourself? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, well, they can't, they, <laughs> I, it's, it's hard to imagine what these things will look like, because it's not like yeah. they're going to have, you know, like, so they're going to say, so teach um, angles and parallel lines at this point, and, and maybe they'll have, like, some some really good quality, like, standard unit sort of stuff linked to it, but they're not going to have, they're not going to have, like, the sort of stuff I've got on my blog, where it's all these random bits it. and pieces that people sort of dip into. I don't, I don't really know, I can't imagine what they mean by resource, I suppose they might have yeah. some great tasks for each sort of topic um but I, I i just don't i don't think it's it's not gonna you still teachers have to find stuff i don't know i feel like it's 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 no i'm not going to be out of a job. <laughs> that's the bottom of <laughs> and i don't really um, i just can't picture how these things will look and actually and also bear in mind that if you were to do some kind of fully resourced amazing uh, scheme of work type thing where um, you're clicking on topics and it's taking you off to all these amazing links or whatever that take you to resources. Um, keeping it up to date is harder yeah. than it sounds because yeah, bear in yeah. mind, I am constantly every day getting emails from people to say that links are broken on my blog yeah. Yeah, where yeah. people are moving things. They're either shutting yes. down websites or they're moving things around. Um, and I'm constantly having to fix broken links, but also I'm constantly having to fix, um, add new things. Yep. So like say Chris McGrain put something amazing on his on his blog, then I'll go to, I'll go and add that in the relevant topic section. Yep. So actually it's amazing how quickly things go out of date. And um, and so I don't, I don't know what, what it is they're going to create and what it will look like, but that the challenge is, you know, you can, I mean, I mean, even we did, um, we did that marvelous maths course, marvelous maths yep. two, where we yep. did, I talked about decimals and place value. And in that course, I said, um, there isn't a really good, um, place value tool that really represents the, yeah. the relative size of, um, thousandths and ten thousandths. And then, um, the, uh, uh, the guys from MathPad watched that made one, and now I'd have to go back and fix the course because yeah, the course yeah, is out yeah, of date yeah. and yeah, it's, yeah. things go out of date really quickly. So, um, yeah, I'll just, just give them a little warning there. They've got a challenge <laughs> on their hands. <laughs> um, I'm sure they have a plan because they know what they're doing. But, um, yeah, I do, I do think that, you know, we, as much as it, it, it will be, whatever they're doing, it will be amazing. It will be well-researched and everything. But that there are, you know, things, things change because, you know, we know that, I don't know, it's before my time, but you know all the stuff. I want to say national standards, but it's not national standards. So there was something, there was something that existed um, in maths education. Come on, you, you've been around longer than me. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking eighteen hundreds or so? Well, what are we talking? No, here? it was like the. I, I want to say standards unit, but it's not standards unit because that's a resource. It was like the right. national. It's not called the national standards. The national something. Anyway, there's a whole load of there were a whole load of good resources and good like curriculum stuff right. that existed. 
Um, and Mark McCourt's always sort of talking about how wasn't that stuff great. And you get people like Adam Crean and people that always reference yeah, okay. all that yes. great stuff. And it's all just got abandoned. And, yeah, it, okay, you know, yeah. you sort of all this time goes into making these incredible resources for teachers that's meant to be like, this is it, we're done now. And yes. then, you know, in 10, 20 years time, um, it's all everyone's moved on and just making the same thing again. So I guess the challenge is how do you make something that's not going to kind of become defunct or, or get or get replaced? Yeah. I don't know. So the message for Colin, Dave and Tommy, good luck, Joe Morgan says. Good luck, you're going to need it. So we'll just see what they <laughs> see what they come up with. Right, Joe, well, we've done it. We've got through three days of this. Um, I wonder whether next time we do this, it'll be a face-to-face. Who knows? But we've enjoyed the online experience. Yeah. Um, it's always great reflecting. There are some benefits. Again, we're at home now, blah, blah, blah. We can just wrap yeah, things no up. Yeah, long journeys home now. Yeah, so that's a, a bonus. But again, we are missing the face-to-face stuff. But we will be back, won't we, Joe? At some point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know when the next conference is, but um, no. you know, and I'm sure. Um, hopefully, hopefully in July there might be an in-face, an in-face, not in-face, in-person LaSalle one. Um, we hope. Um, um, but if not, I, I really think probably September we're going to get some yeah, face-to-face so. conferences back. Let's so. hope. Wishful thinking, maybe, but yeah. Well, Joe Morgan, all that remains for me to do is thank you for being my wonderful uh, podcast co-host for the last uh, three days of this. Always a pleasure. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person at some point soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe.